Welcome to Douglas Wilson's The Plotcast. This audio is brought to you by Canon Press. Every Thursday this month, we are dropping a brand new episode of Season 3 of Douglas Wilson's talk show, Man Rampant. You can find it exclusively on the Canon app, so head to your app store of choice and subscribe. Additionally, Season 1 of Man Rampant is now free on the Canon app. So if you download it, let's say you haven't made the decision to subscribe yet, you can watch Man Rampant Season 1 for free. It's unlocked in the app, so you can download it and watch to your heart's content. Welcome to the Plotcast. This is episode 189. My name is Douglas Wilson. Very grateful to have you here. Way to go. Way to tune in. Way to, uh, or whatever it is you're doing. Way to punch the thing on your phone. So I want to begin by talking about mandatory vaccines in a propaganda age. Mandatory vaccines in a propaganda age. Now here's the, this is the thing. We have to distinguish two issues. And and these issues are going to keep wanting to slop into one another, but we have to distinguish, we have to keep them straight in our minds, even, uh, even while recognizing that they're going to slop into one another. One is, what do you think of vaccinations as a technique? What do, you, what do you think of the medical science of vaccinations, everything else being equal? And there are people out there who are ardent anti-vaxxers. They are against vaccinations in principle, no matter who's offering them. They, they, they are suspicious of big pharma. They are suspicious of uh, science, the scientific community. They're suspicious of the whole enterprise. So there are the ardent anti-vaxxers. That's one issue. What do you think of the vaccines themselves? The second issue is, what do you think of this vaccine the the or the set of vaccines that are being rolled out to address uh covid and what do you think of the uh the idea of making such vaccines mandatory um and people are beginning to talk about um uh vaccine passports so that if you don't have if you don't have a vaccine passport you can't for example depending on none of these laws have passed but let's say what some people are proposing passes. If you refuse to get the vaccine, suit yourself, but you won't be able to travel by air anymore. You won't be, the pressure will be applied to all the airlines and, and you will have to have a vaccine passport to travel around the country. Uh, the governor of Florida, DeSantis, just declared that Florida is going to take a stand this, this week as I'm recording this, he is going to take a stand uh, outlawing or banning vaccine passports. So what do we think about that? Now, this whole COVID thing has um, caught the church flat-footed and unprepared. When COVID first hit, when the first, when, and nobody knew what the heck was going on, at Christ Church, we, we took our services online for three weeks, okay, for three weeks, and we had online services. Then we went to drive-in services for three weeks. And we had um, drive-in services outside the city limits for three weeks. 
And then after those six weeks, the three weeks online and three weeks drive-in, we went back to our normal method of meeting, our normal place of meeting, and have been meeting without requiring masks ever since. So once we figured out what was going on, uh, we went back to meeting regularly. Now, we don't ban masks. If someone um, feels um, insecure or they want, they want to wear a mask to worship, they may, but we don't require it. And, and most people uh, don't wear the mask. But the, somebody's going to ask, why did you go online in the, first, in, the, in the first place? Why did you cooperate with this at all? Well, when it comes to vaccines and when it comes to uh, public health decisions by civil authorities, this is not a simple on-off. Neither one of these issues is a simple on-off switch issue. Let's say there's a small town just down the road from us. There is here in Moscow. There's a small town of Troy. So Troy, Idaho is 11 miles away. Now let's say the bubonic plague broke out in Troy and half the residents of Troy died and half of the remaining survivors were deathly sick. Okay. Now, if that happened and there was this contagious disease in Troy, Idaho, and the magistrates, uh, the county commissioners and the sheriff and so forth, cordoned off the town and said, nobody's coming out. Okay. Nobody's coming out until this is over. That is not an exercise of tyranny. That is not tyranny. Um, That is well within the purview of uh, the civil magistrate. It is his job to repel invasions and to be concerned with the general health of the population. When I was um, in the Navy, I served on the submarines. And when you were 400 feet, uh, well, this wouldn't have happened at 400 feet, but let's say you're submerged and the collision alarm sounds. One of the things you had to do when the collision alarm sounded is there were certain uh, compartments in the submarine where you had to go to the nearest watertight door, close it, cinch it, and cinch it tight. And it didn't matter uh, if your best buddy was in the compartment where the collision occurred, your duty is to shut the door and cinch it down tight. And the reason for that is if you try to evacuate people out of that compartment, what you're doing is you're sinking the whole submarine, all right? So this is one of those things. We live in a fallen world, and it's really hard. It's a hard providence for the people who are caught in a disease-ridden place. But it's not tyranny for the civil magistrate to say, no, you can't come out, okay? The problem is, with COVID, the health officials, the CDC, the people running the show have turned it into such a politicized clown show and they've lied to us so many times, what do you do with that? In other words, I grant the principle that they can, they can quarantine a town, they can cordon it off, and they can not let anybody out. But let's say they do that, and then a month goes by and a couple months go by, and messages start to get smuggled out of the town that actually nobody's died. We're all alive and well. We're all wondering why we got arrested in here. All of a sudden, your attitude toward what's going on changes. You can, you can grant the legitimacy of quarantining while at the same time saying this authority is being abused. That's one thing. Now, I'm also not in principle, I'm not an anti-vaxxer. I don't have a problem with uh, vaccines that have been tested and, and vetted and so forth. 
There are ethical problems with some vaccines having to do with um, the manufacture of them from um, fetal uh, lines uh, developed from fetal tissue and so forth. But just uh, those ethical challenges aside, I don't have any problem with the principle of vaccination. No problem with the principle of vaccination. But now they're making mandatory, they're talking about mandatory vaccines and you can't travel, you can't go anywhere without this vaccine. But this is coming from power-hungry bureaucrats who have repeatedly lied to us over the last year. So my response to this would be, let me think about it. No, let me think about it. No, this is not, this is not where we want to go. We need, to, we need far more transparency uh, in uh, our public life than we currently have, and that's why mandatory vaccines in a propagandistic age are really problematic. They, we ought to um, resist them with everything we've got. So continuing on with uh, podcast episode 189, and we've come to our hamartiology section. So hamartiology it is. We come today to the word diabolus. Diabolus. Now, there's one translation of this word that I'm not going to treat here, but I want it, that translation to serve as the backdrop to the three instances that I am going to treat. And the, the, the reason for this should become obvious in, in a minute. The word diabolos is usually translated as devil. And of course, we have many instances of the word being used that way in the New Testament. So we get our English word diabolical from this. Diabolos is um, rendered as devil. But the nature of this sin, the nature of this sin is related to the fact that the word is translated as devil. The devil is an accuser. And this is because the devil is a spirit of self righteousness. When we talk about things that are satanic, or things that are uh, diabolical, we oftentimes think of troubled goth teenagers, you know, whose bedrooms are decorated in black and they've got a severed goat's head on the floor in a pentagram and guttering candles. And we think uh, spooky occult type of things. But when Jesus was tempted by the devil, he was tempted by the kingdoms of this world and all their glory. And Paul says that the ministers of, the, of Satan appear as angels of light. They, they look good. The devil is an accuser, and he is filled with self-righteousness. He accuses the brethren in the book of Revelation, doing so before the throne of God, both day and night. That's in Revelation 12.10. The essential diabolical nature is found more frequently at church meetings than it is in taverns and brothels. More's the pity. Before we get to the passages that talk about this, when someone, nobody stands up at a church congregation meeting and pulls out a you know, Playboy magazine and shows everybody the centerfold. Nobody stands up at a um, church congregational meeting or a conservative church evangelical meeting and lights up a joint. People don't indulge the sins of the flesh at congregational meetings, but do people ever make unwarranted accusations at church meetings? Do people ever accuse? Do they ever point a bony finger at anybody else? Yeah. And the sin they're falling into, the sin they're falling prey to, is far more diabolical than sins of the flesh. 2 Timothy 3.3. It's part of a list, remember, sins are like grapes, they come in bunches. Without natural affection, 
truce breakers, false accusers, there it is, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good. That's 2 Timothy 3, 3. And then it comes in another place. The aged women, this is from Titus, the aged women likewise, that they be in behavior as becomes holiness, not false accusers, not diabolos, not given to much wine, teachers of good things. That's Titus 2, 3. So, standing up and slandering someone, slandering the pastor, slandering an elder, slandering someone who is thwarting your proposals in the church, that kind of accusation and slander is diabolical, straight from the pit. It's, it's straight out of hell. And the thing that's interesting about this is oftentimes Christians know that we ought not to be fighting. You know, we ought not to be having a fight in the church over the color of paint in the church nursery or over the kind of carpet we select, you know, for the fellowship area. We know that we ought not to be fighting about that. But because we have this itch that we want to scratch, this desire to fight, because we have this desire to fight, in order to fight in the context of the church, we have to somehow turn the issue into a battle between light and darkness. We have to ramp it up to a very high level to justify the accusation. And that's why false accusing oftentimes is accompanied by irrationality, where the, the, <laughs> you wonder, how did we get to the point where the color of paint in the church nursery has turned, well, it's not the issue, it's the principle of the thing. And believe me, if someone wants to fight, it's not difficult for them to get to that, to a point where they can ratchet things up to that level. The rendering is a little different in 1 Timothy, but the point remains the same. Even so, must their wives be grave, not slanderers, diabolos, sober, faithful in all things. So, not slanderers, not false accusers. And the backdrop to, all the, to those three uses, the backdrop is all the devils that Jesus cast out. All right, we're continuing on with episode 189 in the podcast, and we've come to my book review. My book review is a book I just recently went through, and this is, I listened to a series of lectures by Michael Reeves on the English Reformation, and you can find those lectures on Audible. I ordered them thinking they were a book, but they were a set of lectures and very fine lectures. So Michael Reeves is uh, going through the English Reformation, and it, I really enjoyed, really enjoyed that. In the course of his discussion of the English Reformation, he spent some time on the Puritans, and he zeroed in on, well, a couple of Puritans. He zeroed in on John Owen and on Richard Sibbs. And I've, um, I'd seen Sibbs' uh, name in, I was very familiar with his name, seen quotations from him, that sort of thing. But I'd never read anything by Sibbs. And actually, I have the collected works of, of Sibbs, a Banner of Truth thing, a Banner of Truth edition. So I thought, oh, uh, Michael Reeves got me so churned up, I thought, I'm, I'm going to read something by Sibbs. And what I picked was The Bruised Reed. This is probably his most famous uh, work. And this is, um, it's a book that shows what masters of pastoral counsel the, um, the godly Puritans were. Puritans have had a bad rap for being 
harsh and dour and severe and, you know, not stranglers, you know. But they are really, uh, the you know, pastors like sibs. And when, you know, Rutherford, who is a Scots Presbyterian, or uh, Watson, or when you get these Puritans who are ministering as working pastors, and they are dealing with the downtrodden, when they get onto this topic, and this is what uh, Sibs is doing, he is talking about the true believer, the genuine believer, who is um, beaten down and almost gone under, almost gone under. How does God deal with the bruised reed? How does God deal with the smoking flax? And of course, the promise of Scripture is that God is not going to pile it on. When someone is almost done in, God doesn't come along and kick them in the head. And so, inspired by Reeves, I, I got this um, book, The Bruised Reed, and listened to it. And true to form, it, uh, it, it lived up to its billing completely. If you are a pastor, and if you find yourself dealing with people who are weak in the conscience or who struggle with uh, despondency or despair or self-accusation, and you're, you're convinced that they're really Christians, they're, they're really regenerate, then uh, what a number of them need is a bracing dose of the Puritans. And, or, and if you say, well, I'm not sure that they're up to, I'm not sure that they, they would be up to the archaic language of the Puritans or the, the Puritan fascination with uh, points and subpoints, and, you know, I'm not sure they're up to it. Well, th- then I would say, then you as a modern pastor should get Sibs and read him and translate him for your people. Find the principles, you know, be taught yourself. You're not going to be put off with those things. You should um, glean the basic principles yourself and get them into sermons or get them into materials that you can pass on to people that you're counseling. The Bruised Read, Sibs, S-I-B-B-E-S. Mm-hmm.